Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, under governor, uh, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on behalf, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then... I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. 
The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me for this wrong. Most gracious Father, as we look to your word, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word, that your spirit would be at work even now in the proclamation of your word. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this is an interesting little bit of scripture here where where Paul puts on uh, his sarcasm and irony just as thick as he possibly can. Uh, if, if, I mean, it's really astounding the way he's talking. If, if a parent heard their kids speaking to him like this, they would surely be in a great deal of trouble. But, but Paul's not here just being a punk. He, he's actually uh, diving in headlong into some, some ancient rhetorical devices that, that by and large are lost on us, that, that we don't get. So you'll just have to, have to trust me on that. We, it, it's, he's just diving into this, this rhetorical method in order to make a point. And the point that he's trying to make is the point that he's been making all along in 2 Corinthians. That it's not our impressiveness that commends us. It's not our power that commends us. It's, it's not our ability or, or any of that. It's, it's nothing in us that commends us in ministry or to God or in any such way that matters. That's his point. His point is that his weaknesses actually are where he finds life. But he gets there in, in this very interesting way. In the first few verses, 16 through 21, he kind of offers this sarcastic introduction to what, what commentators call the full speech. And, and he, he, he deals with this idea of foolishness. Let no one think me a fool, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. See, part of the, the rhetorical issue was that, that on the one hand, people thought it was foolish to boast. But on the other hand, people thought it was foolish to talk about being weak. So Paul kind of combines these ideas and mocks the super apostles who showed up boasting, showed up saying, look how important we are. Look how well-spoken we are. Look, look how together we are. Look at these letters of commendation that we have. Listen to us. And, and so he kind of says, oh, well, I can boast as well. And, and he takes that form, but then absolutely just mocks them by turning the tables and boasting about his weaknesses. So this idea of being a fool kind of works in a number of different ways. On the one hand, he's, he's kind of openly calling the super apostles fools for boasting in their strength. On the other hand, he's calling the Corinthians fools for listening to them. But on yet another hand, He's being a fool by boasting himself, but, but then he makes himself even more foolish by what he boasts about. Because he boasts about what, what sounds like, with the exception of the third heaven thing, which we'll get to, he boasts about failures at every turn. He's like, he's, his message is basically like, hey, here's how my life has been a complete wreck. You should listen to me. 
There, there's nothing in here that, that we would hear that, that if we're honest, we would go, yeah, that's, that, that's who I'm going to pay attention to. That makes a whole lot of sense. But he's driving, he's trying to make this point about the Corinthians. It's a point that we see him in, in, in make clearly in, in verse 19. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. He kind of like, in this backhanded way, builds them up. You're, you're wise, you bear with fools. But then he explains what he means by that. You bear with it if someone makes slaves of you, like the super apostles were doing, driving them back to the law. You, you bear with it if someone devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the He's like, Y'all are fools in listening to these people. And you just bear with it. So it's this kind of backhanded comment. And then he, he and just the sarcasm is just dripping at this point. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. And then from there, he moves into the, the fool's speech proper. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. And his boasting can kind of, it runs down through 1210, and it can kind of be broken into three categories. There's this first section that, that I'm calling ethno-religious boasting. I made that word up because I didn't know what else to call it. Then there's a section of, of, of him boasting about ministry suffering. And then there's a section that begins in 12 verse 1 that, that's boasting about his personal experience that, that he kind of approaches in two ways. But, but first, he, he, as he does also in Philippians chapter 3, He's like, look, if they think they're special because of their, their ethnic and religious heritage, because their ethnic heritage and their religious work and all of that, guess what? Me too. And that's where he goes into, are they Hebrews? Me too. Are they serve, are Israelites? Me too. Are they children of Abraham? Me too. Are they servants of Christ? And, and, and here he pauses in the middle of the statement to remind us he, he's being ridiculous. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I mean, if you heard a minister in this day and age speak this way, you would be like, okay, yeah, let's all just leave. This is ridiculous. If I stood up here and started going through like other churches in town and then was like, my conclusion was, I'm better. <laughs> Y'all would all be like, I think we're going to go check out those other churches next week. <laughs> but Paul's making this rhetorical point. And, and, and then he goes into, as he starts talking about his ministry suffering and boasting, he goes into what he means by being a better servant of Christ. And he does the opposite of what the super apostles were doing. They were showing up with letters of commendation and with their abilities and kind of showing up, putting their best foot forward, all that kind of thing. Paul says, here's what I mean by being a better servant of Christ. Greater labors, more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Now, I get it. We have this kind of, and I'm not meaning to, to like take anything away from... from anyone that's endured something like this, but we've got this kind of romantic love affair with the Christian that suffers, right? We love reading stories about the martyrs and, and about the, the, the challenges of, of ministry uh, abroad, right? If somebody goes to, to some far-off land and, and they write their, their, their missionary letter home, and they're like, oh, these are all the ways that we've suffered. We look at it and we're just like, man, they love Jesus. They're willing to endure so much. I could never do that. But here's what's funny. If we got that same kind of letter from a church planter like in Little Rock, we would be like, what are you doing wrong, man? 
What is your problem? Why can't you figure this out? See, we, we've got this kind of weird thing that like, oh yeah, if you're off in some foreign land and it's hard, cool, we get it. You're faithful. We love you. We're going to support you. But, but if you're in our context, we're like, what's the problem? Now, we, y'all can all keep looking at me like I would never do that. Yeah, you do. We all do. And if we were to get a letter from Paul or, or from a church planner talking about like these things, we would undoubtedly be like, man, like, did you finish all your seminary classes? Because something doesn't add up here. All of your attempts to preach the gospel or, or plant church shouldn't end in these ways. Brother, we think God might be telling you you're not called to ministry and you just keep doing it. But Paul doesn't see it that way at all. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 40 lashes with this, this kind of uh, whip that, that had different strands, would all have pottery you know, woven into it to, to make it brutal. 40 lashes, it was kind of thought like that's as much as anyone can endure, and this isn't supposed to be capital punishment. So Deuteronomy 25, uh, or yeah, 25.3 kind of caps it at 40. The, the, the Talmud and, and the Mishnah kind of say, yeah, let's back it up. Let's leave it at 39. And so, so five times Paul... Paul receives that. He's beaten with rods. This wasn't meant to be a capital punishment. This was like, I don't know if y'all remember, I remember when I was in high school, maybe college, somewhere in there, there was this big story that came out because some dude in Thailand, he was an American guy, he was in Thailand, and he had stolen something and got caught, and so he was going to be caned. And like all these videos were like circling the internet of like how brutal it is to be caned. And like, it did not look good, like at all. Paul endured that. He was stoned. That, that, that was capital punishment. And when, when we read about, about that in, in Acts 14, we, we see that they thought they had killed him. They left him for dead. But, but he made it. He shipwrecked three times. In danger, and he just like kind of says everything from robbers, from his own people, from Gentiles, from the city, from the wilderness, at the sea. Like, he's just like, look, my life has been hard. Sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, without food, cold. And here's what's interesting. As we go through this, again, if we got the letter and it was like, hey, I preached the gospel and this happened because of it. We'd be like, man, that's rough. We're praying for you. But some of this stuff doesn't really have anything to do with Paul preaching the gospel. You can't write home and be like, man, I was preaching the gospel and I've just been cold ever since. People be like, no, those aren't related. You just need to have your coat, warmer climate, something. But, but Paul sees all of these hardships in his life and boasts about them. I've been without food. And, and, and this is what he's offering to commend himself. I've been left for dead. Been beaten a whole bunch of times. And then on top of that, there's my anxiety for all the churches. I'm just constantly concerned about these people. And Paul's offering all of this as that which should commend him. We see the mockery here. And then in verse 30, he begins to explain what he's doing. If I must boast, 
I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See, there's the key, or one of two keys to this passage, one or two places where he states the key to understanding what he's doing. Our our catechism begins with with this question that that many of y'all know, what is the chief end of man? And it offers the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Apart from that truth, we can't make sense of Paul's life. Because if we didn't have this idea that, no, your job, what you were created for, your chief and highest end, the thing that you exist for is the glory of God. Not your comfort, not your happiness, not your success in this world, just the glory of God. That's it. If, if, without that principle, we read about Paul's life and we're like, man, you have made some bad decisions. But Paul doesn't see it that way at all. Because he sees that that in his weakness, as we're going to see in just a minute, in his weakness, God is maximally glorified. Because there's nothing that he can point to in himself to say, see, I did it. I planted these churches. I pulled it off. There's nothing that he, and that's his point. The super apostles showed up with all their accolades, with with all their their, their impressive results, with with all of these things. Paul shows up and is like, look, I mean, it has not gone real well. Kind of ever. And that's what I'm going to boast about. Because that means any fruit that there is from my ministry, any fruit that there is in my life has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Christ and him working in and through me. Then he tells the story of when he had to be let down out of a window because the the governor in Damascus wanted to seize him. And here's what's what's just fascinating about this particular story. It comes in Acts chapter 9. It's kind of the end of Acts chapter 9. And and the reason that's fascinating is because Acts chapter 9 begins with this statement in verses 1 and 2 that this dude named Saul now known as Paul, this dude named Saul was still breathing threats and was going to Damascus with letters in hand from the authority to find anyone that adhered to the way to send them back to Jerusalem to be dealt with. So so here's what's fascinating about this. He comes in his flesh into Damascus with letters of commendation from the authority. Right? We've got to just see the irony of what he's doing here with these super halls. He shows up with power. He shows up with authority. He shows up impressive. He shows up as a teacher of the law with letters that give him the authority to lock up and oversee the execution of people following Jesus. Paul showed up maximally impressive. He left having come to Christ with his life on the line being let down out of a window in the city wall in a basket so that he could barely escape because everybody wanted him dead. It was a complete and utter reversal of the course of his life and a complete and utter reversal of his fortunes in life. He showed up with authority. He showed up with power. He he showed up with impressiveness and left in absolute weakness, having to be smuggled out of the city so that he himself didn't get killed. 
And he said, that's what I'm boasting about. I'm boasting about the fact that I can't keep myself alive. That I can't navigate this world and stay alive. I don't know how to do it. I'm boasting about the fact that I showed up with power and left with nothing. That's what I'm going to boast about. Beginning in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, he, he moves on to personal boasting. And, and this can kind of be summed up in two, two categories. In verses 1 through 6, there's this vision experience that he talks about that he had. And then verses 7 through 9, there's this thorn in the flesh. And so I'm just going to tell you right here, some of you, if you're like good students, you read ahead and you're like, oh, okay, on this Sunday, Preacher Kevin's going to get to explaining the third heaven and the thorn in the flesh. And no, I'm not. So, sorry. But I'll give us a general idea of what's going on here. In verses 1 through 6, Paul talks about, that I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Here, he, he's talking in, in the third person about himself. He's doing that weird thing. We don't, have, we don't know when this was. We, we don't, but apparently Paul had visions. Okay? And in one of these visions, 14 years before he was writing this, he was caught up into the third heaven. Don't know. When you read ancient Jewish writings and and ancient religious works, the the, the heavens are divided anywhere between like 3 and 365 levels, depending on who you're reading in ancient sources. A lot of people think that, that kind of what, what Paul might be talking about here was that there were kind of three levels to reality. There was this level, then there was the, the second heaven, which is kind of what we think of as the stars and stuff. And then there was like religious heaven, like heaven, heaven, like, like you know, harps, angels, all that. Like that was the third heaven that, that kind of set above everything else. It, paradise, basically. And so some people think he's just taking these kind of common conceptions and being like, yeah, I was taken up there. The reality is... We don't know exactly what he's talking about here. Other than he had some kind of vision being caught up into paradise that, that he didn't even fully understand. I don't know if it was my body or, or, my, or not. God knows that. But he had some kind of vision that, that he what, it was too great to be told. I can't utter it. I saw something that, that, that I can't. And then he says, on behalf of that guy, sure, I'll boast about him. But, but he's di- using this third-person language. He's distancing himself from himself. So there's a, kind of this like psychological break in a way where he's like, yeah, that guy had that experience and that was pretty amazing. We could boast about him, but, but I'm not going to. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. Because on, on, on my behalf, going back to the first person, I'm only going to boast in my weakness. And, and here's what he's doing. One of the things that, that we know the, the super apostles were showing up, they were showing up kind of like, oh, I had this vision from God, right? And Paul's like, yeah, I've done that too. And that's the only point he's wanting to make here. He, he's not wanting to commend himself on this. He's just wanting to be like, yeah, I, I've been there. I've done that. But that's still not what commends me to anyone in this world. That's not what makes me special. And he's doing that because he wants them to understand when somebody else shows up with that same kind of language, that doesn't mean you should automatically listen to them either. But that's what the Corinthians had started doing. And so Paul's like, look, I've got those stories. 
But that's not what I'm going to boast about. What I'm going to boast about is this. And then he gets to verse 7. To keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And then he repeats, to keep me from being conceited. See, he's, he's cutting the super apostles off at the knees and the Corinthians right along with them. They're showing up conceited, impressed with themselves, thinking that commends them. I'm showing up with a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, so that I won't be that way. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. They're, they're, it's, it's kind of fun reading people's guesses. They range from like, oh, he had bad eyesight. And if you're writing letters, like being able to write, like that's kind of important. So maybe that's what it was. He had to have other people write for him, perhaps. And, and, and they range from that to like some people arguing just wild things about, you know, sin that he struggled with. We, we have no idea what it is. What we do know is that Paul had something in his life that he recognized as from God not as punishment, but as a help to him that he might not be conceited. That there was some thorn in his flesh, some weakness. He goes as far as some messenger from Satan that harassed him so he wouldn't be conceited, so that he wouldn't dare stand up before someone and say, this is why I'm important. This is why you need to listen to me. Because there was always that thing in the back of his head that we now might call like, what is it, imposter syndrome or something like that? That he's like, oh, but I've got this thing. To keep him from being conceited. To keep him from doing that. See, sometimes we are so desperate to get rid of stuff that might fall into this category that we miss the value of it. We're so desperate to get rid of, of weaknesses, to get rid of thorns in our flesh, to, to, to get rid of, of anything at all that might not commend us to someone. Because we don't get that God may very well be using that thing that we might learn to rely more and more on him. Paul saw that in his own life. He asked God, three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. This was God's response. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We can add, based on the context, we can add, my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, here's, what, here's the answer. As Paul prayed, God, deliver me from this. Remove this from me. And we have to think at some level, Paul's prayer was something along the lines of, do you know how much better I could be for you if I didn't have this limitation, whatever it was, this thorn in the flesh, if I wasn't harassed in this way? And God's answer is, actually, actually, you would be less for me. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is enough. You don't need freedom from that, Paul. You need me. I wonder if there are things in our own lives that, that we 
That, that, that God is, is trying to, to let us know that very thing. Hey, you don't need freedom from that. You need me. You don't need to be strong in yourself. You need to recognize your weakness and your inability and that all that you have is Jesus Christ. Because see, this isn't a unique teaching to this particular verse. What was Moses' issue? I'm not good at speaking. Yeah, I, I don't want to go back and do this because I'm not good at speaking. And, and what was God's answer? Uh, look, I'll, I'll give you the words. And I'll give you Aaron. And you're going to rely on me. Or, or we go to John 15, the, the, the vine and the branches, and, and that whole story where, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And then he has this, this line, this, this pestering little line, where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. For the flesh is no help at all. And he reminds us that, that, that when we try to live apart from Jesus, when we try to live in some way other than being intimately life-sustaining, united and connected to Jesus, we're like a branch laying on the ground next to the vine, trying as hard as it can to make grapes pop out. And it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. See, that this, this is the teaching of what the Christian life has always looked like. Absolute, utter reliance on God and complete non-reliance on self. Absolute and utter reliance on Jesus Christ. And, and, and complete non-reliance on what we can do. On what we're capable of. Why? Because that's what we were created to do. That's how we were created to live. In complete and utter reliance on God. Where did it all go wrong? When Adam and Eve moved from that position and said, oh, the tree's beautiful and good for food and desirable to make one wise. Rather than relying on God, we can be like a God. And that did not work. It did not work out well at all. Why? Because we were created to be completely reliant on Him. Completely and utterly reliant on Him. And in His grace, when we refused that, when we refused to be completely and utterly reliant on Him in everything we did, He said, you know what? I'll give you my son. I'll give you my son to die for your sin. Because I want you to still be completely and utterly reliant on me. But for that to happen, your sin has to be dealt with. Your sins have to be washed clean by his blood. And your sinful self has to be nailed to his cross. Is this how we think of ourselves? This theology of the cross. That we have nothing apart from Jesus. But that in our weakness, his power is made perfect. Perfect. 
See, we, we get this theology of the cross wrong in a couple of different ways. One way that it's very common that we get it wrong is we run after a theology of glory. And we think, like the super apostles, there's something I can do that's going to commend myself to men. There's something I can do that's going to commend myself to God. That there's some, like I can be impressive, I can be rich, I can be smart, I can have all the degrees, I can be successful, I, I, I can be funny, I can, be, I can do something that people go, oh, hmm, yeah, he's worth it. She's worth it. And we're so ready to do that with other people, aren't we? Another way that we get this theology of the cross wrong is, is we, see, we see the cross as just the starting point. And we're like, okay, good. I got that. I got the dying out of the way. Now I can get on with being impressive. Impressive for Jesus. But I can get on with being impressive. Another way we get it wrong is, is we say, oh, okay, so, so this means that all we're to do in ministry, all we're to do in the Christian life is just focus on how big of a steamy, smelly pile of dung we are. And that's the Christian life. The theology of the cross actually says this. You can do nothing on your own. But in Christ, who strengthens you, anything's possible. The the, the goal of the Christian life is not to resurrect ourselves. The goal of the Christian life isn't to give the old man CPR so, so, so that he can get on living. The goal of the Christian life is to find our life utterly wrapped up in the person and work and purposes of Jesus. That's what we're called to. Full reliance on Him. For His glory. For His purposes. Not ours. That's the theology of the cross. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And again, this isn't a new teaching. We read earlier in in our alternate scripture reading from Isaiah 40 that that this was what God wanted for the people. They, They were looking at their lives in exile going, why have you forgotten us? What's going on? And God's answer was not like, oh, my bad. I was doing this thing over here for a minute. Let's get this back on course. No, God's answer was, no, no, no. What I do is I strengthen weak people. So you had to be weak. Well, what I do is I feed the hungry. So you've got to be hungry. What I do is I come alongside the broken and mend them. So you've got to be broken. It's like when Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, this is what God has always wanted for his people. And why he sent Christ. That we might find our life in recognizing that we have no life. And going to Jesus Christ. And resting wholly in him. That his power may rest upon us. And this isn't just a principle for ministry. 
just to be clear. This isn't something that I or the elders or the interns need to pay attention to. This isn't Paul saying, hey, here's how ministry works. That's part of what he's saying. But he's wanting the Corinthians to get it also. He's wanting you and I to get it also. That we might have this freedom of giving up. Of giving up trying to be somebody. And resting wholly in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the perfect and pleasing and good will of God for our lives. For the sake of Christ then, Paul says in conclusion... I'm content with weaknesses, content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. Why does he speak as such a fool? And why would he dare call us to? For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what he wants them to understand. It's only when we've recognized, to, to, to use the, 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 the language of, of addicts, when we've reached rock bottom, it's only when we've reached rock bottom and said, I have nothing to offer. Christ, save me. I've reached rock bottom and I have nothing to offer. Christ, sustain me. I've reached rock bottom and I have nothing to offer. Christ, keep me. It's only then that we're actually strong. Every other display of strength in this life is an illusion. It's a lie. And it leads us away from Jesus. What he calls us to is complete weakness because then we'll rely on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you call us to stop trying to figure it out, to stop trying to be impressive, to stop trying to justify ourselves, to, to, just to stop trying to be strong and to rest fully in Jesus Christ. And not just for the ministry things of life, not just for the spiritual things of life, but, but for everything in life. Father, help us remember that the flesh isn't actually any help at all in anything. And that our life is found utterly bound up in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.